This creature from the dirt defied the everlasting holy God. Scripture is holy. It is sanctified, set apart from any and all other writings that we have ever had and will ever exist. Self-esteem, that is a satanic idea. You're not as important as you think you are. If you have no desire to know who God is, then can you even be sure that he knows you? The gates of hell itself, or the coronavirus itself, will not stand against Jesus building his church. This is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is. Give us a man who knows the truth. One man, Jew and Gentile, bond and free. One, there is no race in Christ Jesus. Oh, how a man needs to fear God that that man might cling to his word. Give us some preachers who aren't tripping over their skirt to get into the pulpit. What's wrong with you people? This is Matter of Theology that place where theology matters because everything is a matter of theology. I'm Drew, your host, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Chris and Josh. We are a podcast production that seeks to bring you uh, biblical truths through uh, discussing cultural issues and even those issues that do arise up in the church. Uh, And you'd be surprised how often issues, especially now, are arising up pitting church members against church members we are on patreon so if you'd like to partner with us head on over to patreon.com slash matter of theology and become a subscriber we are also members of the christian podcast community uh community so if you would like more christian podcasts go on over to strivingforeternity.org and you can search an entire catalog of christian podcasts we're also a part of cruciform ministries and as Cruciform Ministries, we have several, several conferences that are coming up. One is the yeah. annual, the annual Cruciform Conference that will be in October, at the end of October. And we have one on eschatology in December, and that's got a lot of big names. Jeff Durbin, Douglas Wilson, Kenneth Gentry, uh, Gary, DeMar. Gary DeMar, the list goes on. But on today's episode, we are going to be discussing the topic of hell. Now, we we really only understand hell uh, through the, the pastor sermons on Sundays, um, if he mentions God's judgment, right, where sinners go. Uh, that, that is, if you're in a true biblical preaching church, you, you get the understanding of hell. Most churches today don't even mention sin, let alone hell and God's judgment. Uh, but especially where Chris and I are from in the South, our first probably experience with what hell is probably came through uh, tribulation trails, you know, through Halloween, you know, uh, you know where you, you go through and, and it's their take on a false eschatology and it's this it's this whole this whole thing you walk through that shows why you need to repent and trust in christ so you don't go through the tribulation uh, but fire insurance fire in, that's right that's it's right fire insurance it's fire insurance um but before I kick it over to Chris to talk about why we're going to be discussing hell, um, I want to uh, kind of plug a book. And now, the the author of this book, we are we are definitely concerned about the direction that he's taken, but the book that he wrote on the topic is still a very good book, and it's Francis Chan's book, Erasing Hell, and it's a reply to Rob Bell's Love Wins. And Rob Bell had really became a universalist and the idea that, that an all-loving God would not send people to hell, therefore everyone goes to heaven. And this book was written uh, in response to that. 
and it's it's a very good uh, book. It's very biblical. Um, he goes through and he brings out what Jesus says about hell and, and talking about the nature of hell. Um, so even though we are concerned about the direction that Francis Chan has taken, uh, this is still a very good book on the topic of hell. So with that, I'm going to kick it over to Chris to discuss why we are talking about this topic. Absolutely. And that is a fantastic book uh, by Francis Chan. Um, I, I remember reading that book and after the, uh, the book Love Wins came out and um, you know, Francis starts that book and says, um, look, it, you know, if you're excited about reading this and studying this, then you may need to check your, your, your motives for a second. And because once you realize what we're talking about, you have to understand the, the gravity of this. And, and, and that's, that's the, the purpose of having this conversation in this episode of Matter of Theology is so much, uh, to Drew's point, of contemporary, um, I put in air quotes, preaching, because it's really TED Talks and motivational speeches, if you ask me, uh, given from leaders of country clubs, not churches. And, and you never hear sin. You never hear this subject being talked about. And many, uh, many pastors today um, have become incredibly, incredibly short-sighted um, and ashamed of the Word of God and avoiding, in avoiding this topic. And um, you cannot do that. And because this is the thing, there are two destinies after death. There's heaven or hell. This life is a vapor. But everyone who ever has lived on this planet will live eternally somewhere. Mm -hmm. And that, that place is either heaven or hell. And so it's extremely important that we are um, well-rounded in our theology. And um, none of us as believers are, um, are, are with excuse to be able to not uh, know about this, as it as Scripture is is full of passages that speak to the eternality and uh, what is experienced in hell, and so um, those th those called to be pastors and preachers, you are not um, free to withhold this from those in your care, and it doesn't matter um, how uncomfortable it makes you feel. And it should make you feel uncomfortable because you're discussing the eternal state of, of, of someone's soul and body. And uh, I recently, um, as a part of a, a Cruciform conference, an online conference, uh, the gospel and its glorious parts, I, I was assigned the topic of sanctification and glorification. So when glorification takes place, that is when uh, both glorified soul and body have been resurrected in heaven. Um, and, and just as Scripture speaks to eternal life there, Scripture also speaks to the eternality, the never-ending uh, nature of, of what happens in hell. So hell must be taught. Hell must be learned about. Um, it is a real place filled with real people um, who are experiencing right now in this moment very, very real things. And Scripture is very, very graphic. And I don't mean like, hey, this is graphic content. I mean very descriptive of what people will experience in hell. So that's yeah, why we wanted to talk about that. Go ahead, man. You know, there's a, <clears throat> a couple of years ago, I was talking to someone about evangelism. And, you know, in evangelism and in talking about the gospel and the gospel being good news, well, what makes the gospel good news? Well, it, it's only good news if you understand the bad news. Right. So, so when you're talking about the gospel and evangelizing to a to someone, you it, it's of benefit to bring up the bad news. And the person I was talking to didn't understand why we do that. They kept referring to it as a scare tactic. Right? You're just using you know, hell as a scare tactic in order to scare them into uh, believing Christ rather than them just loving Christ for who he is. And I go, well, it's not a scare tactic. It's actually part of the entire gospel because that's what makes, that's actually why we love 
Jesus. That's what drives us to love Jesus, because the bad news is that apart from Christ, we will suffer eternal judgment, that separation from God's grace. And Christ came, sacrificed himself for our sins so that we may believe in him and we will not have to suffer separation from God's grace. Rather, we are brought under God's grace to, to be reconciled to him. And that's what makes the good news good news because we understand apart from God, there's only bad news. Yeah. Well, you know, and that like it, my mind is ringing right now with, with RC Sproul and that famous, you know, what's wrong with you people. He says, he says, this is what's wrong with the church today. We don't know who God is. Right. Yeah. Right. And what people don't understand or what they do understand and, and suppress is that the very nature of who God is demands that there's a hell. That's yes. right. That's right. Right. Like because God is God, because he is holy, that necessitates the need for there to be eternal judgment for those who are in defiance against him. Mm -hmm. His very nature demands it. It's not just that it's not like God thought one day, you know, at the risk of sounding blasphemous, you, you know, you know what, you know, what would be fun. Let's create a hell to, to be mean. That's not, that is so far off base. Right. right. It's because God is holy. Mm -hmm. And it's because God's nature is at its core holiness. Mm -hmm. It demands that there be punishment. That's right. Um, and I think people just, they don't like, they don't want to have to deal with a God who is holy mm. because then that necessitates a response from them. Right. And, well, and they, really, we, we see that kind of argument on uh, really against reform theology as well, you know, in the topic of predestination and election, the, the whole idea of I can't believe in a God that would predestined this or, or do that. Well, a lot of people don't like the idea of believing in a God that actually sends people to hell because they don't believe in him. Well, it doesn't matter. God is who God is. He is who he is. He says that I am who I am. And the main attribute that we have to understand is his holiness. Everything stems from his holiness. And because God is holy, that means unholiness cannot be in his presence. And unholiness deserves righteous judgment. Yeah, well, and, and so so a couple of things, you know, about that, and 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 in line with that, Martin Luther, uh, you know, the great German reformer, said this. He said, "Quote: Hell will be a particular place where those those uh, where those will be who are condemned to hell or to the eternal wrath of God. No doubt now is and will be far worse than anyone's able to describe, picture, or think it will be." You know, and and that's what we have to remember that in the light of our sin, we have sinned against a holy God. That holy God, uh, Drew, and you said this wonderfully, uh, cannot be in the pre can will not be in the presence of sin. Will punish sin. Uh, I think of Jonathan Edwards and sinners in the hands of an angry God. When uh, you know when he said that God holds you over the pit of hell, uh, much as one holds a spider abhors you and is dreadfully provoked his wrath towards you burns like fire he looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire and in so many places in so many churches um, across this country and across the world have not dealt with this subject faithfully and biblically um, one more quote from Dr. John MacArthur, and then I'll turn it back over to you guys. And then, uh, uh, but Dr. MacArthur said this quote, hell will not be a place as some jokingly envision where the ungodly will continue to do their thing while the godly do theirs in heaven. Hell will have no friendships, no fellowship, no camaraderie, no comfort. It will not even have the debauched pleasures in which the ungodly love to revel on earth. There will be no pleasure in hell of any kind or degree, only torment day and night forever and ever. And of course, he's referring to Revelation 20, verse 10. Uh, well, we can take, uh, yeah. I, I, let's take that, for, that last part for a moment, the idea of eternal torment. Now, right now, 
uh, in our current world, non-believers, they don't experience eternal torment because they are currently experiencing a grace and a mercy from God, right? It's life now. Yeah, it's God still allows the the hardened atheist, right? God allows him to wake up in the morning. God allows his heart to still beat. God allows his lungs to still fill up with air. The eternal torment comes when that grace and that mercy is no longer over that person, but rather they are completely separated from that. And you actually come to the realization because there's no, there are no atheists in hell. No, you, you come to the realization. Well, there's no atheists on earth either. (laughs) That's true. I'm making a point, Josh. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, sorry. (laughs) But, but that's where you come to the true realization that the whole time you were under the mercies of God. Well, and think about this and, and the word torment in the scriptures, you know, you look at, look at Luke 16, um, uh, the rich man and Lazarus, right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that word torment in the Greek, it, it literally means the extreme pain of torture. I mean, this, this is indicating, I mean, pains to the breaking point. I mean, Mm -hmm. pains that cause, um, the, the, the person experiencing that to scream in agony and losing any and all restraint that you would have to be able to, to hold that in. Uh, I mean, yeah. it's, it's filled with, with the groans and, and, and the, the, the shrieks, and as Dr. Stephen Lawson says, the, the shrieks and the groans of the tormented damned. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you truly start to study what uh, just Jesus alone said, concerning hell. I mean, Jesus preached on hell more than any other person in the Bible. And, uh, he had more to say about hell than he did about heaven. Um, and, and out of, out of all the, the, the verses in scripture where, or excuse me, in, in just the four gospels, uh, the words of Jesus make up 1800, roughly 1800 verses. 13% of those are about judgment in hell. And so when you start to study what Christ himself, what our Lord himself said about hell and what will take place there, it is incredibly sobering. It is well, incredibly sanctifying. Yeah, go ahead, take g- go back to, to the rich man and Lazarus, yeah. right? And you're talking about that torment. <clears throat> yeah. The torment that the rich man was experienced was so much so Right. He he didn't ask for for a glass of water. He said, just have Lazarus dip his finger in water and let him put just that one drop on my tongue. Yeah, that's how painful it the 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 plea and cry for one drop. Yeah. Well, Well, go ahead. Go ahead, Josh. Oh, no, I was going to say, yeah, yeah. I mean, the. Just one small semblance of relief. Right is what is desired um, because of the intensity that of torture that, that, that will be there. Um, You know, one, one can't comprehend, you know, it completely ending Mm -hmm. uh, because of how horrible it is, but just one, one drop, one drop of relief to lessen the pain for, for less than a second, for half a second to feel a percentage point of less pain uh, would mean the world to this rich man, and uh, yeah, it just gives you a, a a little picture of what what awaits the unbeliever, the person that that rejects Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, and Drew, to to what you just said earlier too, also in that story in uh, in in Lazarus or, or in the in the rich man and Lazarus in in Luke sixteen verse twenty five, um, uh, check this out. Verse twenty five says, "But Abraham said, child." Remember that during your life, you received your good things and likewise, Lazarus, bad things. But now he is being comforted here and you are in agony, you know, in, in hell, the, like your mind won't be erased. It's, it's intensified. Like you will remember every single moment that you wasted in your life on sin. Because you will know that there's a God. You will know that he is holy because remember what we're saved from. We're saved from the wrath of God. 
So in hell, you'll remember, I'm sure, every single solitary gospel presentation you ever heard and rejected. Mm-hmm. And when you when you look at that, um, and, and wow, I mean, the eternal torment, I mean, something, something else that that you hear, I mean, it's, it's inescapable. It, it never ends. It never dies. And one of the things that, that really struck me and, 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 um, is this, so, so eternal torment, and we haven't even gotten to the fire portion of it yet. I mean, for anybody who's ever been burned by anything, I used to work on cars. I went to school for automotive technology. If you've been burned by a hot muffler or a hot engine, uh, you know, it's something that gradually comes on and it continues. You know, my, my wife has third degree burns on her leg from something happened when she was a kid and she can remember that. And so not even talking about that, but the agony, the, the eternal agony, the torment, the, um, the, 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 the breaking under pain, the haunting memories, all compounded. But think about this. It's also called a place of outer darkness, pitch black, utterly without light and full of people. I mean, think about that. Let your mind, let your mind go to just how, how sheerly terrifying that is to be in utter darkness and experiencing all of that, 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 that we see that just Christ himself. So that's not even getting to what Paul said and what Peter said and what Jude said and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What you got, Josh? I think, I think it's, I think it's important as as we start going into describing, you know, start digging into what Scripture says about hell. Uh, uh, excuse me, about hell. I think it's I think it's good to kind of define our terms and to actually say, you know, what 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 is hell? Because I think there's a lot of misconceptions when talking right. about hell. Uh, a lot of people think it's the home of Satan, or mm. you know, you know, whatever. You know, th- there's a lot of there's a lot of different uh, a lot of different opinions on there. But what what hell is is it is the place where the pure, unrestrained. It's a good word. Yeah, undistilled. Word. Yes, never wrath ever. of God. Yeah, is poured out in its fullest. That's right. Onto those who have rejected his son. That's right. The place of hell is the antithesis of heaven. Whereas heaven is the place of God's unrestrained and undistilled glory and love and grace. The place of hell is the exact opposite. Which makes, which is, which, what is interesting, it makes the place of hell just as sacred and just as holy of a place as heaven. Amen. Yes, sir. Because in both of those places, heaven and hell, the nature of God is on full display and it is done so for his glory. That's right. So the place of hell is a very sacred place. Mm-hmm. It's a very terrifying place. And it's a very holy place. And I think when we, we need to view it through that lens, because I think we can often make the distinction in our head, well, heaven's the good place and hell's the bad place. And no, 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 both both are holy both are sacred yeah um the difference is which attribute of god is being put on display dude i think you just blew a lot of people's minds with that yeah yeah (laughs) check out this check out this quote by octavius winslow josh to that point says quote hell is full of divine holiness holiness in the manifestation of justice Holiness in its most glorious exercise. How fearfully are the lost now learning this truth? Think it not a trifling matter, unconverted reader, to look into the bottomless pit and to know that there is but a step and you are there. You walk to the end of the treacherous plank and are gone. Oh, solemn thought, but one step between you and the quenchless flame. 
but one step between you and endless torment. Throughout eternity, the lost soul will be testifying to this truth. God is holy. I was a sinner. I rejected his salvation. I turned my back upon his gospel. I despised his son. I hated God himself. I lived in my sins. I loved my sins. I died in my sins. And now I am lost to all eternity lost. And God is righteous in my condemnation. Well, and, you know, that flies, it, this, this truth flies into the face of, I think, when you ask, you know, if you ask, you ask many people, you know, what is hell? A very common answer you will get is, well, it's, it's the absence of God. It's the absence of his presence, right? And that's what makes it hell, because God is good, and God is gracious, and all those things are true. Mm-hmm. But the place of hell, uh, God is equally present in hell as he is in heaven he is equally uh he is he is interacting with the souls there on an equal level that's right Mm. it's just one he is manifesting his grace and his love and perfect communion and the other is his unrestrained wrath. Right. God is present in both. That's right. Yeah. Uh, the face you see is just different. Mm. That's right. Yeah, the the idea of, and I'm glad you brought that up, the idea of how people think that hell is just the absence of God. Well, if God is omnipresent, then that right. means he is everywhere. Um, that means he is present even in hell. And that's a great point that you just made that – he is just as present in hell as he is as in, in heaven. The difference are the attributes that are on display in the face that you see. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and, and that's exactly why the enemy is constantly trying to, um, you know, help people, uh, church leaders, uh, believers, um, you know, believe something that's not true, explain away um the the fear of god in hell you know we 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 fear god here that you know uh because we love him but we and because we attempt and 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 because of the faith that he has given us we and what we know about him based on the again the the him opening our eyes us studying the scriptures we fear god here that we that we need not fear him eternally uh, and his eternal wrath. And, well, yeah. But. Uh, look at the response of Christ on the cross. Right. He 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 cries out almost almost in. You almost get the sense that there is almost a level of confusion. Uh, even though I, I don't I don't believe that's the right word, but 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 he 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 doesn't. He is experiencing something on the cross that he has never once experienced before. And is the wrath of his father. And it makes him cry out, Lord, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not that God somehow turned his back because he couldn't look on his son. I right. hate that analogy. Yes, when, absolutely. When people, when people say that God turned his back because mm-hmm. his son became sin and God can't look on sin. That is not true. That's right. It was a specific sending of his wrath onto the shoulders of his son. And it rocked him. <laughs> it sent Jesus into this into this state where he is crying out to his father because of what he is being put through on the cross. Yeah, and that is one of the most, if not in in my mind, the most powerful moment in all of Scripture. When I hear Jesus, the Son of God, crying out to his Father, because he, it, it's all he can do. It's all he can do. He's, he's never experienced this before. Right. It is something that is, I think, gives us a little glimpse into what hell truly is. If it makes Jesus do that, uh that for eternity is, is 
I can't be, I can't begin to comprehend that. Right. Right. And as, as children of God, either, you know, either you find, you find your rest and find your hope in the work of Christ and the, the wrath of God that he absorbed on your behalf and that he paid for your sins or you spend eternity in, 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 in a place where the torment never ends. It never stops. It doesn't let up. It doesn't slow down. That, that pit of darkness, that punishment of eternal fire, that, that endless destruction. The, the, when, when you hear uh, Jesus and, and the scriptures talking about the, 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 the weeping and the gnashing of teeth and, and, and what that means, those sounds, those experiences, the, the burning, the, uh, you know, Mark 9 talks about where the, wor- the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Um, I, I mean, you, you find your rest and hope in the fact that the Son of God, Josh, to your point, experienced that or, or you spend eternity experiencing the eternal wrath and the holiness of God in hell. Yeah, I think um, we, when we view hell, when we dis- would discuss hell, we think that that is only for those who have outright just rejected God. But dare I say that there are some who even have a head knowledge of God. Oh, sure. But their hearts are not submitted to him that are still under, under that, that wrath. Uh, it, their, their hearts are still in enmity with God, even though their heads are full of true knowledge. It hasn't quite uh, made its way into the submission of the heart. And, you know, what makes me think of that is, uh, even though I disagree with the eschatology is in the left behind series, but there's, if, if you look in, and I never read the books, I watched the movie, but, uh, it, in, there's a clip in the movie where the, the preacher, uh, he was one of the ones that was left behind. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and he's at a loss because he's saying, I preached every week, right? But what is that? That should actually, even though I disagree fully with that eschatology, that should bring caution to us to say, though we know it, do are we truly submitted to it, to who Christ is? Well, you know, knowledge knowledge doesn't save you, right? And Right. For the for the individual who fills their head with knowledge of the gospel, knowledge of who God is, and yet still rejects them on the end of that day, it doesn't make you any more savable. It, what it actually does is just increases the heat of the fire. Right, right. I was and, just about to say that. Yes, sir. That's right. And that's what I think we don't realize is that the more we know about God, the more we immerse ourselves into his word and then reject him mm-hmm. yeah. are more chains, <laughs> more yeah. heat, more torment, because we are those that have said, Lord, Lord, have we not done all of these things? I was just about to read that passage. And mm-hmm. God says, turn away from me. You thought you knew me. I right. never knew you. Right. Absolutely. Right. Well, it, it, well, the, you know, Chris, before you get into that, that, you know, this morning I posted to have to possess an orthodox mind and yet have a heterodox heart is to still be a dead man. You, you're, you're still going to end up in the place of eternal torment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that passage out of Matthew seven, um, every tree, you know, uh, and actually it actually ends up that section starts with, uh, Matthew seven fifteen talking about beware of false prophets. Um, but then specifically what Josh was talking about was, you know, not everyone, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? 
And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And that, that reminds me of, um, you know, the, the fact that the, the author of Hebrews talks about that hell will have, and, and Josh said it already, um, hell does have differing degrees of punishment. Um, you know, those, and, and in that case, that, that, that's someone who in their heart, they have openly rejected Christ after hearing and knowing the gospel. And scripture says that, that they will suffer a more severe punishment. Um, and, and that's Hebrews 10, 29. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled under the underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so that passage you were going back to the Matthew passage with, with Christ. Uh, you have not done the will of my father. Only he right. who, only those who have done the will of my father, right? How do we know the will of the father? Where is it? Where is that found? In the scriptures. In, in scripture. Only in the word of God. That's right. Only in the word of God, which is why people cannot openly defy God and then turn right around and say, well, God knows my heart. Yeah, he does know your heart. He, you need a heart change. You need to repent. Right. Yeah, you're a worker of lawlessness. That's where your heart is. Well, and Scripture speaks to that again in Matthew 7. Uh, just back up a few verses. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the, the fire. fire. Right. You know, and, and so when you look at, you know, hell is also uh, a place of destination for those who are false teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's that, that what you just described, Drew, is someone who would be classified as a false teacher, mm-hmm. um, someone who would spread that. Uh, and, and that's that's sobering. Mm-hmm. That's anytime you open your mouth. I think it was J.I. Packer who the late J.I. Packer said, um, you know, every, every time you open your mouth to talk about God, you become a theologian. That's right. You better decide what kind of theologian I'm paraphrasing. Decide which theologian you're going to be a good one or a bad one. Mm-hmm. But but take heed and take warning. Verse, you know, for being a, sp- a false teacher, uh, scripture's clear. Mm-hmm. Scripture is clear uh, that, that those who desire to be teachers, that you're, you will be held to a higher standard. The book right. of James clearly states right. that. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's, I, I think it's because, you know, we talk about, we talk about degrees of hell. Right. I fully believe based on inferences that I see in scripture and how, with the 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 ferocity in which Christ dealt with these people in his day, I believe the worst and hottest levels of hell, if you will, are reserved for those that use the gospel for their own gain. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And hurt God's children in the process. That's right. That's right. Amen. Amen, man. And that's... Uh, you know, it, it kind of moving moving into um, just discussing a couple of things that we see, um, you know, in, in the scriptures as far as you know what what are some of the things out there that we have seen, some of the doctrines out there, false doctrines that we have seen that um, try to mask or um, try to shy away from the terrors that we truly see in hell. And so we've already talked about one, and let, let's talk about it a little bit more with universalism. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Drew, what does what universalism teach? So, universalism teaches that everyone will go to heaven. Uh, there is no hell. There is no uh, eternal judgment of God. There is no, there, there's really no wrath of God. Um, it teaches that all people, that, that Christ on the cross atoned for all sins of all people, therefore all people go to heaven. Well, right. That is not true, given that Christ himself says that there are people who will go to a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right. That's right. Well, I mean, Scripture scripture is incredibly, mm-hmm. incredibly clear uh, that that's not true. Um, mm-hmm. And, and some, some universalists even believe that, that Satan and, and his, his fallen angels uh, will also be mm-hmm. restored to their former position, which is also not true that that completely flies in the face of, of what we see in the book of revelation. So, right. Well, the, there's also, there's also this view that, um, when you die, 
you will get the chance, and this is a form of teaching in, in, of universalism as well, that you will get the chance to stand before God again and have one final chance to, to come to Christ. And the idea is that once you're in that position, you will come to Christ. Therefore, everyone yeah. then goes, because you would have to be a fool, right? In that moment right, right, to reject. Right. Um, so, but it's just completely false teaching. Well, yeah, and, well, and... Well, and, you know, a huge problem with that, too, is that, like, you have to do so much biblical gymnastics in order to That's believe right. that, <laughs> yes, you know, I yes, mean, and I mean, look at if you're going to believe that you have to you have to logically make the claim that like that that God has changed in his nature. Right. I mean, look at God in the Old Testament and the wrath that you see him mm -hmm. pouring out on I mean, not just the nations of the world, but his own people. Mm -hmm, right. And then you're going to say that after Christ comes and everyone's saved, everyone gets a pass, mm -hmm. it, that it, it's inconsistent with the nature that we see mm -hmm. and the truth and the holiness of God that he upholds for himself. Right. You're just going to say then that none of that matters. Right. You end up making God a liar because God has already be made promises, promises that the righteous will inherit the kingdom of God and the unrighteous will um, suffer judgment. Now, because God has made those promises and he has already begun to move and act upon those promises to now completely remove God's judgment, God's wrath, um, the doctrine of hell, you now have to call God a liar. Right. Which well, goes that, to Josh's point of, yeah. of redefining his nature. Right. And, and, and well, the scripture is clear uh, that, that, that God is not a liar, that Satan is, uh, you know, John 8, I think of John 8, that, uh, um, you know, uh, that, that, that whoever speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he's a liar and his father is the father of lies. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is, that, that is absolutely a lie. Um, yeah, that, that flies in the face and to Josh's point, you have to do a whole lot of hermeneutical, uh, and just straight out, not even hermeneutical gymnastics, but, but biblical gymnastics and trying to, trying to be able to justify that position, um, uh, correctly. So, yeah. And what's interesting too is you have uh, something that I I started studying that I was was kind of unfamiliar with at the time was um, the 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 subject of uh, annihilationism, right? The idea um, that when you die, that's it, you're you're done. Right, you just pass off, you just cease to exist. Um, you know that that the rest of humanity humanity after they die, other than the people in heaven, just pass off into non-existence. Um, and that uh, that unbelievers that, that they're they're uncreated, um, you know. So so obviously that again uh, completely flies in the face of of you know Romans six and James five and Revelation twenty and uh, you know J John three sixteen. Hello. Uh, so um, so yeah, I I really started. I didn't know much about that, um, and I also didn't know that uh, that John Stott was a big time proponent of this. Uh, of of the 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 annihilationist position, um, so he says he said this. He said, "quote Emotionally, I find the concept of hell intolerable, and do not understand how people can live uh, with it without either cauterizing their emotions or cracking under the strain." Period. Close quote. Um, and, and and I mean I I agree that that when you study the doctrine of hell, it should make you feel those emotions, but as a believer. It should make you thankful. I mean, it should absolutely change how you live your life. It should push you into further sanctification in the Lord um, th than ever before. And, and that's how you don't cauterize your emotions or you don't crack under the strain uh, is by remembering that he, he took that for you and in your place. Well, and it, it, should increase, it should increase your desire to evangelize as well. You know, I mean, exactly. for... For the unbeliever, that synopsis he gives, I would completely agree with. If the yes. unbeliever is actually going to think, think logically and think correctly, uh, I mean, you see that in the life of Martin Luther. He cracked under it. Yes, it made him, it made him hate God, 
right? That's right. And it wasn't until he understood the gospel that he was able to deal with mentally and emotionally and spiritually the concept of hell because of what he sees he was saved from. Well, right? look at, yeah, yeah. Well, look, look at back in Luke 16. Look at what uh, what ends up happening is is uh, so we see um, we see in verse twenty six of that. So we already talked about twenty five when he's saying you know dip your finger um, you know uh, oh oh I'm sorry t- verse twenty five remember you're you're going to remember everything that happened. But then verse twenty six says he says and besides all this between us and you there's the great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able to and that none may cross over from there to us. So. We see that in between heaven and hell, there's a chasm that you cannot cross. It's inescapable. And then check this warning out. And Josh, to your point about the evangelism, and then I have a quote by J.I. Packer, and then I'll turn it back over to you guys. He says this, he says, then in verse 27, and then he said, then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. So we see this, this warning here of, of avoid this place at all costs, avoid it. And then uh, the late J.I. Packer, he said this quote, Christian evangelists ought to give teaching on hell. It is part of their job. Many today show the same knee-jerk reaction if hell is mentioned to them, contempt for hell. Talk, ha- talk has, it seems, become part of our culture. I'm sorry, let me back up. Contempt for hell talk has, it seems, become part of our culture. But evangelists are on a rescue mission to their unbelieving neighbors, and it is right and necessary that, as honest men, they should undertake, frankly, to explain what jeopardy people are in apart from Christ. Academics sometimes look down on evangelists for affirming that hell is real and eternal, but they would be wiser to look up to them, period, close quote. Yeah, so in that, the idea that evangelism is a rescue mission. So every person apart from God, there is no one, as as Romans 3 says, that seeks after God. Mm -hmm. Every person is running as fast as they can towards hell, okay? People who are in hell are in hell because they desired to be there. They remained in their sin, and God allowed them to stay in their sin. Evangelism goes to the people that are running towards hell and offers the gospel plea to stop running towards hell and to come to Christ. But you have to know that you are running to hell. Yeah. Well, Jude, Jude 23, you know, save others, snatching them out of the fire on, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. You know, they're told to snatch them out of the fire, mm-hmm. uh, rescue them, uh, because there is no escape. Once you're there, you're there. Mm-hmm. That's it. As we just saw in uh, Luke 16, Luke 16, yep. there's yep. there's a chasm right. that separates, and e- if you wanted to cross, you cannot. That's, and you'll want point. to. You yep. will want to, yep. but like you just said, once you are there, you're there. Well, and and, and you know, check this out too. I, I something else that that just got me about the darkness piece. Um, you know, uh, Paul said, in, or I'm sorry, excuse me, Peter said in 2 Peter 2, 4, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. I mean, think, th- just just think about that for a second. Um, and, you know, it, it's referred to there as a, as, as the, a pit of darkness, right? The uh, the lowest part of hell, the bottomless pit. Revelation nine says the. Uh, I mean, I, I think about this. Have you guys ever had a dream where you're falling? Mm-hmm. And, the, and 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 you know, typically you'll wake up sometimes right before you hit the bottom. And and that I hate those dreams. That I wake up in a cold sweat and 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 i mean i had a very good friend of mine who who uh who, who fell and died 
Um, you know, and that used to be a big fear of mine is falling off of something and, and, and falling to my death. But so you think about that pit of darkness, never ending, inescapable, that feeling of always falling, combine that with always burning, combine that with vengeance, combine that with torment. Wow. Wow. And then as a believer, let your heart cry out to God in worship and thanksgiving. But as the evangelist, which we're all called to be, we have to warn others, save others, Jude says, from that. So, yeah, I just, I just wanted, to, wanted to point that out. Go ahead. Go ahead, Josh. What you got? No, I was just going to say, yeah, I think it's when we think of heaven and we think of it being perfect, you know, God's, the manifestation of God's perfect mercy his perfect love, hell is the exact opposite of it. What is the opposite of love? It's hatred. What is the opposite of mercy? It's justice, right? And it's, it is justice and hatred to the extreme, to, to the max. Like the very definitions of those things is what hell is. And right. yeah, which just, when, when we think about it in terms of that, it should make us, one, so thankful that we have been saved from it. But two, like we, we have a mission we should have a sense of urgency that there are people right. going headlong into this. And we have been given the mission by Christ to be the evangelist, to bring the gospel to these people that they may be saved and snatched out of that fire. That's our job. And we, we should be, we should be running toward that with more urgency than, than we than we do with anything in our life. Mm-hmm. Well, I think about, uh, we, we just, we just got done recording, um, you know, the conversation chronicles uh, concerning uh, dying to self, you know, and I, and I think about studying this doctrine and, and realizing uh, everything that God has saved us from through Christ. And, and, and it kind of gives, it, it kind of gives new, a new, not interpretation, but a new application for this passage. Second Timothy two. You know, Timothy says, "Remind them of these things, and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which is useless, and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth." But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. You know, and, and, and further down, he, verse 23, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of look at some of the things that we're seeing right now in the evangelical culture and in, in, in the church. And yes, there, there are some things that we need to take stands on and, and things that are being uh, brought forth concerning, uh, you know, uh, multiple things that we find happening in our culture, but this should be priority one. Preach the gospel. Teach them all that I have commanded. Go into all the world and make disciples. Save them. Save others from this. Snatch them out of the fire. This is the mission of the church. Not to, not, not to wrangle about words and not to have useless arguments. And no, I am not saying, <laughs> please hear me, I'm not, I'm, I don't have anything specific in mind when I'm saying that, and I truly mean that. Yes, there, there are fights and battles that need to be had. Yes, there right now there are certain hills that need to be died upon. But, for, for example, the reason that the church needs to continue to meet is for the edification of the saints, but also for the salvation of souls. I'll leave it there. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I agree with that. Um, <clears throat> as we begin to wrap up uh, talking about the discussion of hell, I want to encourage you pastors, uh, preachers, teachers, do not shy away from discussing this doctrine. Do not shy away from teaching it to your people. In fact, let it be a constant reminder that Hell is a real place. Yes, that's right. It needs to be preached. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, reference a couple of uh, points here from Dr. Stephen Lawson, who 
uh, is one of my favorite and, in my opinion, one of the best, best preachers the church has ever had. Um, he says this, we need to preach it unapologetically. We need to preach it graphically. We need to preach it passionately. We need to preach it urgently, mm-hmm. preach it persuasively, and preach it soberly, and preach it pastorally. We do not need to avoid the doctrine of hell. We need to teach it and preach it. And, and, and how, how we come around that and how we end with that, though, is how hell is avoided. It is avoided uh, through the work and, uh, of Jesus Christ alone. It is salvation in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, and what we know from Scripture alone. That is how it's avoided. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, man. Yeah, right and and I also want to add to that, the doctrine of hell, teach, the teaching of the doctrine of hell is not a scare tactic. It is a biblical truth that must be taught. It's not a scare tactic. It's not the, the turn or burn. It's not to be used in that way. Right. It's to be taught as the bad news that is the antithesis to the good news. It is what makes the good news good news, and that is in Christ. Go ahead, Josh. Yeah, well, we, we preach hell because we believe the gospel. Yes, we amen. Pre- and we, we preach the gospel because we believe in hell. That's right. You can't, you can't separate the two. Right. Um, because there is a hell, we need a gospel. That's right. And because yep. a huge part of the gospel is God's holiness, mm-hmm. it necessitates there being a hell. So when That's you right. remove it, you are doing the only thing you are doing. You're not making Jesus more pow- more palatable. You're making God less powerful to save. That's that's all you're doing when you deny the the doctrine of hell and you you refuse to preach it and you don't make it part of the gospel is you remove the need for the gospel. If there's no hell, why do I need Jesus, right? So we need to understand that, and we need to let that truth just manifest itself in, wow, look at what Christ saved me from. When I understand the doctrine of hell and I understand what it is, it makes the gospel so sweet. Yes. Go preach that gospel. That's right. That's right. Well, and, and it actually means Jesus accomplished something. Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, and I, I think of the words of, uh, oh man, uh, Josh is Josh's man there. The, the, the great Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, the Prince of Preachers said this, he said, quote, Oh, what would the damned in hell give for a sermon? Could they but listen once more? They would consent, if it were possible, to bear 10,000 years of hell's torments if they might but once more have the word presented to them. If I had a congregation such as that would be of men who have tasted the wrath of God, of men who know what an awful thing it is to fall into the hands of an angry God, how would they lean forward to catch every word? Mm -hmm. Now, let me add another Spurgeon quote on top of that. If people are to go to hell, then let them go to hell leaping over our bodies. That's right. You literally just stole the quote that I was about to read. Well done. Well done. But I mean, it's what popped in there because of what Chris said. There has to be a necessary reaction right. from the church. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and the, the the only reaction that is suitable for that is to spread the gospel. Mm-hmm. Is to do the work of an evangelist and tell people how they too can escape the city of destruction and enter into the celestial city. That that is our job. Nice. Amen. I love how you just threw the Pilgrim's Progress in there. I love it. Chris, uh, do you have anything to wrap up with? Do the work of an evangelist, preach the gospel, fulfill your ministry. Hmm. I would like to end by telling you, if you are not a believer and you have listened to us discuss hell, uh, hopefully we have persuaded you, um, that hell is a real place. Um, not just by our opinion, but through what scripture says about it. But I want to encourage you that today is the day of salvation. We're not promised tomorrow 
And in fact, many people who are in hell, I believe are there because they kept putting off salvation. They kept saying, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. And their promise promises for tomorrow ended up being a bunch of empty yesterdays. And they are now eternally separated from the grace and mercy of God. So I want to encourage you, come to Christ. He is the one who shed his blood on the cross for your sins, for my sins, so that we may have reconciliation with a holy God, so that we will not spend eternity separated from that grace and mercy of God, but will actually live for eternity with God as a holy father. So I would ask you to repent of your sin today, not tomorrow, today, and come to Christ. Amen. Behold, today is the day of salvation. That's right. Put your faith in the substitutionary work, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. Well, we are going to get out of here. We hope that this discussion on hell was insightful, that you learned something, um, and we hope that it actually drives you more to the scriptures to understand what Jesus says, what God says throughout the entire scriptures on the doctrine of hell, and do not shy away from talking about this subject. So, with that, we will head out of here, and we will catch you on the next one. <laughs>